Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Hi. Better than good morning or something like that. Well, it's good to be here in St. Charles, welcoming everybody that's at the other campuses in DeKalb and Aurora and Streamwood. My name is Keith. I flew in from Seattle. This is a, a great time for me to be here. It's, I travel a lot, but this time I actually have my daughter with me. I brought her with me on a birthday trip because tomorrow she is 11. And so we've done the whole touristy thing. Got to ride the Centennial Wheel. Got to do the architecture tour. And I really, really thank you for the weather you guys like shipped in. Because all, everything that I'm hearing these last two days have been like the greatest days that you've had. And so we're out tonight. So thank you. That was really, really good. I have a huge but simple goal this morning. Huge in the impact that it could have and simple in what it actually is. Here's my goal. In the time that we have together, when you leave this room, the next time that you pick up your Bible, I want you to like it more. That's it. I want you to enjoy the Bible more. I find that for most people, the Bible is the one aspect of their life in Christ, their their life in church community, that is much more of a should than a want. We want to hear good preaching. We want to worship. We want to participate in baptisms. We want to be in community. We want to be part of our community groups. We want to go to kids' world. We want to go to summer camp and mission trips and And then somebody brings up the Bible and we go, yeah, I should read that more. I should know that better after being around the church for 150 years. Right? That's the one thing that turns from a want to a should. And I want this morning to be the starting point, maybe, for some of you moving from should to want. If you're sitting here thinking, but I've tried everything... I believe that this could actually be a turning point morning for you. And the reason that I'm so confident that something as simple, not just because because of my ability, but because of what I've discovered having spent the first 25 years of my life in Christ, living in the land of should. And I can actually point to the day to the date on the calendar when that started to shift for me. That's why I'm confident that this is going to happen for you. It's because for me, it was April 18th of 1993. I loved Jesus. I had been a part of the church my whole life, was raised by Christian parents, really enjoyed being a part of the church. We moved around a lot, but, but we were always part of pretty cool churches, and so I really enjoyed that. I wasn't one of those kids you had to drag to church. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, After college, I didn't feel like growing up, so I became a youth pastor. (laughs) If if any youth pastor gives you any other reason, they're totally lying. And 
and I was a full-time youth pastor for much of the 90s, and earlier, before April 18th, a couple days prior, I was having lunch with a buddy of mine who was a youth pastor at another church in town. And he said, Keith, I don't know what to make of this. There's this guy coming to our church Sunday night who has memorized the entire Gospel of Luke. And he gets up on stage with no sets, no props, no costumes, no other actors and actresses, and he just quotes it. And while he quotes it, he kind of acts it out. (laughs) As you might imagine, the first thought that went through my head was, well, that's a lot. The second thought, which I actually said out loud, was, are people really going to sit and listen to that for almost two hours? And I wasn't trying to be disrespectful or sacrilegious or anything, but my idea about what memorized, quoted scripture sounded like brought me back to my elementary school days growing up in central Kansas, where once a year they would stand the second grade Sunday school class up in front of big church, and one at a time, really frightened eight-year-olds would go. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Run 3.16. And then the next kid. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Hi, Mom. You know, has anybody ever seen this happen? There is is this pretty big disconnect for me between memorized, quoted scripture and good drama. I figured if anybody could make it somewhat interesting, it'd be this guy. His name is Bruce Kuhn, and he had been in the Broadway cast of Les Mis, which rumor has it is above average. (laughs) And I went Sunday night, April 18th, 1993, and what happened for me that night is the living word of God went from being a phrase to a reality. And I find as I travel around the world, for most people, the living word of God is a phrase that they desperately wish was a reality. It has nothing to do with whether people believe it's true. Believing something's true and believing something's alive are two very different things. Well, Not only did I stay through the whole two hours that I didn't think I was going to be able to sit through, but I went up to Bruce afterwards and said, hey, they said you were going to be in Seattle for the whole week, but they didn't mention anything about what you're doing tomorrow. Can I take you to lunch? And he said, sure. So the next day I picked him up at noon and dropped him back off at his hotel at 9 p.m. No exaggeration. We spent the whole day together. It was a long lunch. And... uh, And he just started talking about the Bible differently from anybody I'd ever heard. He started saying things like, well, what if instead of memorizing this verse and this verse and studying this little tiny bit, and he said, what if you just took a book and you just soaked in it until you knew it, and when you know it, you move on? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I've never read more than a chapter ever. And, but I'll take you up on your challenge. He had challenged me to do it. And then so, you know, he had done Luke. I want to do something different. So I chose Philippians. And, uh, and I took Philippians, and I just read Philippians every day for that summer of 93. And I got to the end of the summer, and I realized that I was enjoying the Bible more than I ever had before. I was realizing that I was understanding, and I was realizing that I was remembering it. In fact, I was driving down the street one day and was thinking through Philippians and realized I had just gone about three to four paragraphs without making a mistake. And went, 
Ooh, memorizing scripture without trying. I like this. And, uh, but I realized I hadn't just memorized it, I had internalized it. It was now a part of me. I understood it. I talked to God about it. He, he brought it to my mind when I needed it. And, and so I said, I want to I have the life of Jesus pumping through my veins like that. And so in 94, I made one New Year's resolution, and that was to internalize the Gospel of John. Just read the Gospel of John over and over and over again until I knew the whole thing. And so that took me till about Thanksgiving. And little did I know that God was actually shifting my whole course of ministry away from just ministry to students in one single church to doing what Bruce had done with Luke, but with the Gospel of John. And so I, I started sharing. March 3rd of 1996 was the first time that I got up and shared the Gospel of John the way that he had done Luke. But for me, the biblical storytelling was always... Uh, a starting point, a launching to this conversation about how can we start to enjoy the Bible. And when Clayton emailed me and said, hey, do you want to kick off this series? We're calling it How to Enjoy the Bible. And I said, you realize that the title of my latest book is How to Enjoy Reading Your Bible? <laughs> and it came out before you planned the series, you copycat. And uh, <laughs> I said, I would love to because churches are not having this conversation. Churches around the country are having primarily three conversations about the Bible. The first conversation, the basic, what I call the basic conversation, what is the Bible? Is it true? Is it God's word? Should we even read it? Second conversation is the, what I call the reliability conversation. How do we get translations and how did we get it into English and can, is it reliable what we have in English from what we had in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and, and tell, tell us more about that and can we trust it? Is it reliable? And then the third where we spend most of our time which is the practical conversation. Does it make any difference at all Sunday afternoon through Saturday night? That's where we spend most of our time. I've spent the last 23 years helping individuals and families and churches have the fourth conversation. Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Because what I've found is you can answer yes to the first three questions, I mean to the first three conversations. Yes, it's true, it's God's word. Yes, it's reliable, and yes, it's practical, and still spend your entire life living in the land of should. But if you enjoy it, then you'll want that. Then the consistency thing kind of goes away, right? I, my, a former pastor of ours who went back into the mission field, he was one of those guys that just loved to go for 50 mile bike rides. Just saying that sentence kind of hurts a little to me, right? I have no desire to go on a 50 mile bike ride, right? I, so I don't go biking. How consistent am I with that, right? I know when I run, I know that I feel better. I know that my body's healthier. I know that I'm less stressed. I've got less stress. I know that I sleep better. I know that I'm a more patient husband and father. I know that. I hate running, <laughs> right? If you, you want to find somebody who loves running, go talk to Courtney and her family. And uh, <laughs> so how consistent am I in running? I'm super, super consistent the first two weeks of January. I crush it the first two weeks of January, right? But... Isn't it usually the first two weeks of January and the first two weeks of September that most people are consistent in their Bible reading? That's when we start a new plan. Because we haven't figured out a way to enjoy it yet, and I want you to enjoy it. 
And so today, I want to share with you seven tips to help you enjoy it. The first two are about mindset, and the other five are about action, what we actually do when we read the Bible. How can we approach the Bible differently and read the Bible differently so that we can actually start to enjoy it? Because if you start to like the Bible, you'll look forward to reading it every day as opposed to just doing that thing that I need to do. So the first tip that I have for you today is to read the Bible relationally, not informationally. When I ask people why they read the Bible, most of the time they give me some kind of answer that boils down to some form of, well, I read the Bible because it's God's word and it tells me what I need to know so I can do what God wants me to do and live a life that honors and glorifies him. Which all sounds well and good, but that's not the purpose of the Bible. This is the only book that has ever been written in the history of bookdom with the sole purpose of drawing you into relationship with its author. The purpose of this book is relationship, not information. Amen? Now, don't, get me, don't, don't hear what I am not saying. I am not saying there's not information in there. There's a lot of information in there. But the way I, I like to put it this way. So, Randy and I met, Randy Isola and I met uh, probably about six or seven years ago when I was speaking in this building to a bunch of children's pastors. And, and he and I, have really our, our kids are about the same age. We have some of the same interests, whatever. But because I live in Seattle, he lives here. We see each other maybe at a conference now, you know, every year or two. I've probably actually only been in the same room with Randy maybe six to ten times. So I know some about him, but I don't know a ton about him. But I know enough about him that if I moved here to Chicago, I'd probably hang out with him. And so if, we, if I moved here to Chicago and we said, hey, let's get together for a cup of coffee once a week before work. Over the course of the weeks that follow, would Randy and I learn some information about each other? Right? We learn uh, the birthdays of our kids probably over the course of time. We learn how, we, I know that he's married, he knows that I'm married, I know that we've got kids, but I know that he has all boys and, uh, and I have two girls and a boy and, and I, we, I know some things like that. I don't know how he met his wife. I probably learned that. I probably, I don't know what his favorite band is. I don't know what all his favorite sports are and I don't know if he's into technology or not. And there, there's some information we would learn about each other, right? But let's say that week one, I showed up, got my coffee, sat down, pulled out my yellow notepad, and written across the top, it said, 54 things I need to know about Randy for him to be my friend, <laughs> right? So how did you and your wife meet? What sports do you like? What technology are you into? What music is on your playlist right now, right? What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? You know, important godly things. And now, Randy's a nice guy he would probably be polite and answer some of these questions. What's the chance of him showing up week two? <laughs> right? Not really good. I'd call him up and be like, hey, Randy, I had a great time last week. Are we getting together tomorrow? And he'd say, oh, sorry, I totally forgot. I'm busy forever. <laughs> but don't we do that to God all the time? We open up the Bible and we open up our... And, we, and, and, and the focus of it is to get the answers to the questions as opposed to letting that flow from the relationship that we have. For me, my primary purpose for reading the Bible has shifted from learning about God to hanging out with Jesus. 
The irony is, is that the more relational my mindset, the more information I've actually taken in, the more that I've actually learned, the more that I've actually been challenged, the more that I've been corrected on some things, the more that I've received comfort, received encouragement. Because think of the people who have taught you the most, the people that can call you on the carpet, the people who encourage you, the people that you go to if you need some comfort or you need some wisdom. Aren't they also the people that you sometimes just watch a ball game with or just have a backyard barbecue with? Aren't they the people that you know and that you hang out with? It was a revelation to me to realize that although I had heard from the time I was very little, God has something to teach you every day. Anybody ever heard that? God has something to teach you every day? I no longer believe it's true. Again, do not hear what I'm not saying. God has something for you every day. But sometimes I think he wants us to pick this up and just enjoy the read. If you spend time with God and you enjoy reading his word and you don't learn anything for that day, that has not been wasted time. Is God or is God not your heavenly father? Not a rhetorical question. Is God or is God not your heavenly father? Any parents in this room? Are there days when you teach your kids something? Are there days when you discipline them? Are there days when you comfort them or challenge them or correct them? All that happens as a parent, right? Are there some days when you just play catch? Or you just bake some cookies or catch a movie or go for a run or what? Well, why do we think that our Heavenly Father doesn't ever just want to enjoy spending time with us? Why do we think that every time we get together with Him, we have to learn something? Now, if you go a long time and you don't learn something, then we're tipping it the other way. But this relational mindset is huge. You need to read the Bible relationally, not informationally. This second tip was actually something that I learned as I was struggling with my daily quiet time. I had already internalized Philippians and John. I already knew how amazing the Bible was. I was already presenting scripture. I knew that the Bible was not just true, but awesome. I knew all that, but daily on a regular basis, I was struggling with my, with, with my mind just kind of wandering. Right? Does anybody here ever struggle with their mind wandering when they read the Bible? Okay, and the rest of you just don't like to raise your hand in public, right? Okay. So this was something that was so frustrating for me, and I, I had one day where it was just particularly horrible. I just could not get a paragraph without my brain being somewhere else. And so I, I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to start over, and I'm going to focus. Right? I'm going to focus. I'm going to concentrate. Here we go. We're going to squirrel, right? And, <laughs> and finally, I just was so far. I just put down my Bible, and I'm just driving to my next appointment, and I'm just venting to God. Have you ever had this conversation? God, what is wrong with me? Why can't I focus? I love you. I love your church. I love worship. I, I, I believe your word is true. I know that I need to read it. I want to love it just as much as that one old lady that sits in the corner of church. I'd love to do that. But what's going on? I can't focus. What's wrong with me? And at one point, I, I stopped to inhale. And God said, I'd like to talk now. <laughs> and so as frightened as you are right now, go with me into my brain. He gave me this, this vision, this picture that has forever helped me with this. In it, I was a running back on a football team. 
We were on the 20-yard line, had 80 yards to go. I knew that I was getting the ball. I had done everything I was supposed to do. I had been in the weight room. I had been at practices. I was in shape. I had memorized the playbook. I knew exactly which way the quarterback was going to turn. I knew where the hole was going to be that I was supposed to run through. I knew what blockers I was supposed to follow, and I had visualized the end zone. I could see the six points on the board, the whole crowd, <sighs> the whole thing. Sure enough, the ball gets snapped. Quarterback turns exactly the way I'm expecting. I grab the ball. There's my hole, exactly where I'm expecting. So I start running down. There are my blockers, exactly where I'm expecting. And I start following them down. And I get seven yards down. I get 18 yards down. I get 24 yards down. And then, bam, I get leveled. And I'm laying there on the ground, stars going around. Why am I not in the end zone? I'd like to be in the end zone. The end zone would be awesome. I pictured the end zone. This hurts, right? And a buddy comes over to help me up, and he says, well, hey, man, there is somebody playing defense. Have you ever thought about that? That every time you pick this up, there's somebody playing defense. Every time you pick this up, there's somebody who's trying to actively make sure that you don't like it. I don't know that I can put it any more simply than this. If Satan can convince you and me that John Grisham is a better author than God, he's won a pretty big battle, don't you think? And so the attack actually starts before we ever pick up the Bible. But the attack starts, it's like the pregame smack talk, right? The attack starts with, you don't have enough time to do this this week. Are you kidding me? You, look at your calendar. There's no way this is the week for you to start this. You just don't have time. And oh, by the way, you tried last week. You said you were going to do five days a week, and you did one and a half. You kind of cut that one short. You just read your real quick thing, and then you just left. And you don't remember anything you read from that. It wasn't helpful. What makes you think that this week's going to be any good? Right? Before you ever pick it up. And then as you pick it up, the distractions that come. And so we start going, what's wrong with me? Maybe I don't love God as much. Maybe, maybe the Bible is just for those few people at church that really just seem to really like it or the people that have really studied it a lot or the pastors or the people that have gone to school and gone to Bible college or maybe I, I'll, I'll just sit and listen to what they have to say. I, 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 this will never make sense to me. Well, where does that sound like it comes from? <laughs> right? I've watched a lot of football. I love football. I've occasionally, on a rare occasion... I will see a running back take the ball on the first play of the game and run it for a touchdown. I've seen that happen a handful of times, right? Most of the time, almost every time a running back touches the ball, they, they get tackled on the first play of the game, right? I have never in my life seen a running back stand up on the first play of the game after getting tackled and go, I'll never make it to the end zone. Why? Why? They shouldn't even give me the ball, really. They should just put somebody else in. I, I've never seen that. What I see is give me the ball again. 
and I started developing a strategy for beating the defense. We thought we were going to be able to do this, but we need to do this. We need to work, right? And all that. You guys have heard of a running back named Walter Payton? Okay. I, I thought you might have. I saw an interview with him years and years ago. You know what his strategy was? He had a strategy for beating the defense, and I heard him say in an interview one time, my strategy is not just to not get tackled. Of course I don't want to get tackled. My strategy is to get up before the person who hit me. He said, man, when a 280-pound man hits you with everything you've got and you help him up, that messes with people. There's a strategy for beating the defense, and we've got to have a strategy for beating the defense. Part of it is that relational mindset. Part of it is recognizing that the defense is even there, and part of it is the next tip and the next tip and the next tip that we're going to walk through because these next five are all, okay, here's what we actually do. Tip three, if we really want to enjoy the Bible, if we really want to get the most out of it, we want to develop a love for God's word, we need to read more of it. Both in consistency, I know that as I read the Bible Savvy series, I love it that several times throughout several different books, Jim references the need to be consistent when you, when you want to and when you don't because it just builds in this habit and you start wanting to more if we even do it when we don't want to, that there's this consistency piece to reading more as in reading more frequently. I also think there's the reading more as far as the reading more from a quantity standpoint. As I, I, I love it that one of the Bible Savvy series books that is completely, completely devoted to context and the importance of context, and context is king. This idea I, that, that Jim writes, because you, you know, you've got the, the four-year Bible plan, and some days the reading is not long. There's not a ton of it in there. But I love it that he says, okay, when you get to an epistle, when you get to one of these shorter books, when you get to one of the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter, read the whole thing before you just start studying the little bits of it. Read the whole thing to give you that context. After all, it's a letter. And I, I mentioned that, that I, the first book that I, that I did this with was Philippians, and I, and I just read it. And, you know, I had, I had read Philippians before that day, but it had always been a four-day deal, right? Because Philippians is four chapters, and I was told when I was a kid, chapter a day keeps the devil away. And <laughs> But as I was reading it, I was realizing, wait a minute, if this is really a letter, this is the first time I'm reading it like a letter. I mean, if you got home and there was a four-page handwritten letter from somebody that you love that you haven't seen in a few years, and the first line on page one is, I thank my God every time I remember you. <laughs> Would you read page one and then go, whew, I'm spent. <laughs> I better save page two for tomorrow. Four days from now, I'm going to have this bad boy cranked out. Right. No, you'd read the whole thing, realize you're still standing out by your mailbox, you should probably go inside, and you'd read it again. And later, you would read little bits. You would focus. I still have a letter in one of my Bibles that my brother wrote to me on my 30th birthday, which was a few weeks ago. We're just going to go with that. And... Uh, <laughs> And there are still times when I'll pull it out and I'll read little bits of it. 
But so often, we only read the tiny bits. We only read the one parable. We only read the daily reading. If you want to really love the Bible, do that. But also, sometimes just sit down and read for 20 minutes. Read for 30 minutes. If you get to a short book, read the whole thing. If you're even going to take a gospel and you're going to be breaking it down and you're going to read a gospel over the course of two or three weeks, take a Saturday and a Sunday and take an hour a day and just sit down and read it and get the narrative of that whole story. I tell people, we, we read the Bible like we're studying the scenes of a movie we've never watched. And so we hear, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And we look at that and we go, okay, here's what it means to fight the good fight. Here's what it means to finish the race. Here's what it means for me. Here's what this means to to finish. And then I say, so what book of the Bible is that in? And most of you are like, um, I don't know, I'm going to go with one of the later ones. I don't know. Second Timothy. When we sit down and we read Second Timothy, and we read some of the context stuff, we, we read some of the background of it, we realize that this is the last letter that Paul ever wrote, and this is two or three paragraphs before the very last words, the last greetings he writes. We realize that every time that we read Second Timothy, we're actually eavesdropping. Because it's not written to the church in Ephesus. It's not written to the churches in Galatia. It's written to Timothy, my dear son. And he's writing to, obviously Timothy decided to share it, but when Paul wrote these words, he wasn't writing to the church. He was writing to this guy that was one of his best friends and he wanted him to come visit him because he knew that he wasn't going to live through winter. He was in prison. He had been in prison. I mean, most of the stuff that he wrote was written from prison, right? I mean, my... My theory is that God put Paul in prison occasionally so he'd slow down enough to write stuff. But but in Philippians, he says, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He knows this is a pit stop. In 2 Timothy, he says, the time has come for my departure. He knows it's over. We read it differently when we get that whole context when we read more of it. When we read more, we start to realize that not all of the Bible sounds the same. When we never read more, when we only read the little bits, there's this little guy that jumps into our Bible and reads our Bible for us. I'm Brent jumps into our brain and reads our Bible for us. You know who I'm talking about? Mr. Monotone. Has Mr. Monotone ever read your Bible for you? (laughs) I hate that guy. When you read more, you naturally start to see the characters and hear their voices and picture the scenes and everything. Has anybody here ever had the experience of reading a novel and then seeing the movie based on a novel? You ever had that experience doing that? Is it just me or is the casting director always an idiot? (laughs) Right? Am I the only one who has ever audibly said at a movie screen, are you kidding? Right? That person was taller, shorter, blonde hair, brown hair. That wasn't even a girl. Right, But you didn't try to figure it out. You just read more of it. I'm guessing you didn't read that novel a page a day and never anymore. Right? And with with the Bible, when you... Let me put it this way. If you read Philippians and you read Galatians and they sound the same in your head, you're reading incorrectly. 
Yes, they're both letters. Yes, they're both written by the Apostle Paul. Yes, they're generally the same length. Yes, they're in the same part of your Bible. Yes, they both have little greetings at the top. But the first thing he says as he opens up Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Group hug. (laughs) Galatians. (laughs) The very first thing he says in Galatians. Got the little greeting. The very first thing he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the gospel of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing them into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I not trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Oh my goodness, I don't want that letter. <laughs> right? You read Philippians, you should feel like you've been hugged. You read Galatians, you should be a little sore. <laughs> but we never read the big. We, we always just read the little tiny bit, and so we read... I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserted the one who called you by the gospel of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which, oh, he used the word gospel twice. I should look that up. (laughs) Do the deep study. Do the verse-by-verse study of Scripture. But sometimes read more if you really want to love it next tip if you really want to enjoy it you really want to engage with it read out loud if you really want to shift that mindset you really this is part of the strategy of beating the defense read out loud i become such a firm believer in the power and benefit of reading out loud that pretty much the only time i don't read out loud is if i'm in a situation where i'd be bothering somebody right if i'm in a coffee shop or i'm on an airplane then i read silently I had one lady at a workshop one time go, you're on an airplane, read out loud, what are they going to do? And uh, <laughs> ask you to leave. And <laughs> so, but there are a few benefits of reading out loud. Reading out loud will help you with your concentration, will help you to, to see to, to, to see what's there to see, to understand it. It will help you with your attention. That whole beating the defense, when I talk about the mind wandering, when we read out loud, we will focus more. We will, I I tell people, if if you want to 
get the most out of it. If you want to stay focused, then read out loud and read the Bible like you're reading Curious George to a five-year-old. Put just as much energy and passion and emotion into it. Do not read out loud like Mr. Monotone. I'm guessing that's not what Paul would have sounded like if he was reading to you or Peter or Moses or anybody else that wrote the books of the Bible that you're, that you're currently reading. Read it out loud. Some of you say, well, I'm not a really good reader. Well, if I gave you Curious George Goes to the Zoo and put a five-year-old on your lap, you'd do fine, right? Nobody in here would be, okay, let's open this up, kid. George was a curious monkey. He wasn't a bad monkey. He was just curious. He had a friend with a big yellow hat. They went to the zoo. That didn't go well. Uh, no. <laughs> you know how to read. Read the Bible out loud. It'll help you with your attention, and it will help you with your retention. Help you remember what you read. There are all different kinds of studies that have been done about what, how much we remember when we only see information, how much we remember when we only hear information, and how much we remember when we hear and we see information at the same time as we reinforce what we're seeing with what we're hearing, even if what we're hearing is our own voice. The, I've seen statistics all over the map. The, the worst statistic that I've seen is that it will double your retention. The best that I've seen is that it will six to seven times your retention. And most of us still read silently. People say, well, I can read so much faster if I read silently. And I say, I don't care. <laughs> is your goal to get through it? Or is your goal to hang out with Jesus and to get the most out of being with him? Slow down, read out loud. It will help in your concentration, your attention, and your retention. Speaking of retention, this next tip, this idea of retaining what we're going to read, retaining what we're studying, remembering it. We, if we're, if we're going to do that, we, we've got to do that. The importance of doing that because we typically don't struggle with living out what we learn in Scripture during our quiet time. Right? That's not typically our time of greatest struggle. Our time of greatest struggle of living out the precepts of Scripture, the truths of Scripture, is typically when we're out in the world, right? Dealing with these things called people. That's when it's hard. But take a look at this. Joshua, the book of Joshua starts out. The, the, they're, at the prom, the, they're at the edge of the promised land, at the edge of the Jordan, Moses has just died. They've spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Joshua has been given the, the leadership position from Moses as Moses then died. Joshua's about to lead them in. The famous battle of Jericho is about to happen. They're standing on the edge of the Jordan. And we hear some things that we think that we, we would expect to, to hear when we're about to go into battle. We hear in verse 6, we hear, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. In verse 7, he says again, be strong and very courageous. In verse 9, we read, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's what we expect to hear. Be strong, courageous. Several different times he says this. We can just see this. They're just ready to go. But do you notice I read 6, 7, and 9? Here's verse 8. 
Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous if we went on? Tucked right in the middle of this pre-battle pep talk. He says, you need to know this so well that you can meditate on it day and night. You need to be able to think about it when you are not holding it. It needs to go with you. We need to remember it. Because is it even possible to be careful to do everything written in something you don't know? Is that even a possibility? So if we're going to retain it, not only do we need to read more and read out loud, but we need to read it again and again. Tip five is we need to read it again and again. The beauty of repetition is repetition just works. You may have heard this before. This is not mine. Repetition is the mother of all learning. We remember to repeat and we repeat to remember. That is how our brains work. Anything we repeat, we remember. Any parents or grandparents of children under the age of seven in this room? Okay, do you have Veggie Tale songs in your head you wish would go away? I guarantee you, you never tried to memorize any of them. But you heard them over and over and over again, and then you've been driving down the street, there's not even a kid in your car, and you've gone, where is my hairbrush? Where, oh, where, oh, where? Ah! When you find those passages that God brings out to you, when you see those verses, when you see those whole sections even, when you see those chapters, repeat it. Read it over and over again. Write it down. Save it as a screensaver on your phone or your, or your tablet or something. Something that when you pop it up, that you can just take a few seconds and read it. I believe that most Christians' lives would be transformed if they would internalize Romans 8 and say it every day to themselves. We need to repeat it. These last two are flip sides of the same coin. Tip six, let, can, let, let me ask you this. How many of you have study Bibles with more notes on the page than actual scripture? Right? Hear this clearly. I love my study Bible. In fact, I've got a few. I love them. I use them all the time. But when I first enter into a book, other than reading a little bit of the background, I put that Bible away and I read just this one that has almost no notes on it. Why? Because I believe tip six is we need to read alone. Sometimes we just need to hang out with Jesus. Sometimes we don't need to hear the input of the commentary. I am not saying that we don't ever use them. We, they're a valuable tool. Just like having a conversation with another Christian about the Bible is immensely helpful. But if every single time we open up our Bible, we ask somebody else what it means, then we start to think that we can't ever understand it ourselves. We forget that the relational part is with our Heavenly Father with his son Jesus, through his spirit. Amen? Sometimes we need to read alone. We need to put that one aside, and we just need to read. And then we need to go back and make sure that our study Bible is a part of the conversation, not the entire conversation. We need to read alone. But the final tip is this. Don't read alone. <laughs> Don't read alone. Here's what I mean by this. If you really, truly want to enjoy the Bible, you want to fall in love with it, you want to have a lifelong 
life-giving relationship with God through his word, then you need to be reading it in community. I love that this is the model of this church, that you've got the four-year reading plan that people of all ages are doing. I love the community group aspect of it. I love the journals and the fact that Kids World and adults are doing the same. I, lo I love that you've put that into place. So in this place, it's very easy. There are some other places I go where it is not easy to do this. But here... Because anything you talk about, anything you discuss, you're going to become more interested in. So don't read alone after you read alone. <laughs> if you really want to enjoy the Bible, then start out with a mindset of reading relationally. Recognize that there's a defense and have that strategy for beating him, which is reading more of it reading it out loud, reading again and again. Read alone, and whatever you do, don't read alone. Amen? So rather than pray for you, I'd like to offer a blessing. And my pastor once said, a blessing is a blessing, not a prayer. So keep your eyes open and receive it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you, give you, give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.